Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a science writer with a master's degree in astrophysics discusses the secrets of gravity. I can hold my arm out horizontally and the entire mass of the Earth, with all of its gravity, cannot pull my arm down, you know, so it's that weak. And yet, on the large scale, it controls absolutely everything in the universe. This podcast is brought to you by International Star Registry. Choosing a gift for someone special can be a daunting task. Whether it's a birthday, Mother's Day, Father's Day, anniversary, or any other big day, you want a gift that's unique and perfect for that person who already has everything. International Star Registry can help. They've been providing unique gift ideas for over 25 years. International Star Registry lets you name an actual star in the sky after your special someone. It's the most awesome gift of all time, and possibly the most romantic. Name a star after someone you care about, and they'll remember it forever. And never forget your thoughtfulness. The address is GetARealStar.com. GetARealStar.com and give someone the gift of a real star in the sky. That address again, GetARealStar.com. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Great to be with you, and happy Monday, March the 12th. This past Saturday, I took the boys to our local library. It's called the Thornhill Village Library. It's very quaint, very old, 
and reportedly haunted. And my boys are voracious readers, thank God, mostly fiction. And the staff there are really great. They know the boys very well, and they encourage them to read certain books that they think they'll enjoy. And occasionally, they'll share a ghost story uh, with them. Apparently, the, um, the, the resident ghost there is a little girl. Anyway, the other day, uh, they were telling my boys, this old gentleman in his 80s came into the library and as he came through the door, he saw a dog run past him and into the library, and he called out, somebody stop that dog. Now, of course, there was no dog to be seen, and it turns out the library wasn't always a library. About 60 years ago, it was a veterinary clinic. So there you go. Anyway, I found this great book on anti-gravity, and I can't put it down. Don't you just love science jokes? Uh, But seriously, uh, when NASA first started sending up astronauts, they quickly discovered that ballpoint pens would not work in zero gravity. And to combat that problem, they spent about a decade and something like $12 billion to develop a pen that writes in zero gravity, upside down, underwater, on almost any surface, including glass and temperatures ranging from below freezing to 300 degrees Celsius. Uh, Of course, the Russians just use a pencil. All right, enough of that. Uh, But truthfully, we're going to talk about gravity. And how is it that for four centuries after Sir Isaac Newton first hypothesized the inverse square law of universal gravitation, more than a 100 years after Einstein's general theory of relativity, we still know so little about gravity? Here to discuss his research into the forces of gravity, what creates it, as well as the possibility of using it to warp space and time, is Marcus Chown. He's an award-winning writer and broadcaster, formerly a radio astronomer at the California Institute of Technology in Pasadena. He is now the cosmology consultant for the weekly science magazine, New Scientists. His books include Tweeting the Universe, The Afterglow of Creation, The Magic Furnace, and The Universe Next Door. Chown studied under Richard Feynman at the California Institute of Technology. Marcus Chown, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Terrific. Thank you. Looking forward to this all week because I have so many questions. You know, I wish I had a science teacher like you when I was uh, back in, in school, particularly, you know, one who could have condensed the answers to 140 characters. That's, that's an, uh, an amazing concept for a book that you co-authored recently. Tweeting the universe. Yes. That's right. Yeah, that was a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Well, now you have more than 140 characters. <laughs> All right. I want to yeah, talk. I don't know where you go after. I don't know where you go after 140 characters. Do you, you know, write a book in haiku or something like that? You know, <laughs> just a few words. I don't know. That's right. Well, let's talk gravity, shall we? First, first of all, the idea, the, the the theories of gravity have been with us for what 400 years since Isaac Newton, but it seems we still know very little about it. How is that possible? Well, I mean, that's, you put your finger on why, why I was interested in writing this book, because I'm fascinated by the paradoxes of gravity, and you just put your finger on one of them, and that is that, you know, we think it's the force that, that was, uh, you know, that we first understood, Isaac Newton, you know, three or four hundred years ago, and yet it's the force which is the most uh, inexplicable today. So there's that, there's that paradox there. It's also the force which is by some huge factor, the weakest 
in the whole of nature. I mean, I can hold my arm out horizontally and the entire mass of the earth with all of its gravity cannot pull my arm down, you know, so it's that weak. And yet on the large scale, it controls absolutely everything in the universe, you know, so the weakest force is actually the most powerful on the large scale. And then, um, uh, you know, Newton imagined that it was like an invisible tether that connected the uh, earth to the sun and kept the earth, uh, you know, orbiting the sun, but but, I, but uh, Einstein showed that that was completely incorrect, uh, and in fact there's no such thing as the force of gravity. In fact, what a mass like the sun does is it um, creates a depression, a valley in the space-time around it, and the earth is just going around the edge of that valley, rather like a roulette ball around a roulette wheel. So there are all those kind of paradoxes that, uh, that got me interested in writing about gravity. And And what do we need to do in order to maybe crack the code or understand these these paradoxes can we ever is there a missing element here very is the hardest the biggest challenge physics has ever faced um we don't really know um i should tell you that that newton came up with a description of gravity his law of gravity um you know we we, we think that he did it by by uh you know, seeing the fall of an apple and thinking that an apple falling from a tree was very much like um, the, the moon falling towards the earth. He made that kind of comparison. But uh, then in a hundred years ago, Einstein showed that, that in fact there was a better theory of gravity, his, his own theory of gravity, and, and Newton's theory was, uh, was merely an approximation of his theory. Now we also know that Einstein itself is not the final theory. It's an approximation of a deeper theory because it breaks down in, in, in several locations. So uh, if we imagine, you know, the universe is, is began in a big bang and uh, the universe is expanding, its galaxies, we live on one of them, are flying apart. If we imagine that expansion uh, running backwards like a movie in reverse, then we come to a point about 14 billion years ago when everything was compressed into one point and that was the, the big bang. And the theory, which is Einstein's theory, predicts that at that moment of the Big Bang, the density, the temperature, every parameter was infinite. Well, when you get an infinity in any theory of physics, it's telling you that, you're, that, that the, the theory has been stretched beyond the point where it can say anything sensible. So Einstein's theory predicts what we call a singularity in the, in the Big Bang, and therefore we know it's incorrect. But the question is of, of how we find the, the better theory, that Einstein's theory is an is a, um, approximation of, that's very, very hard. Um, you may have heard the term quantum gravity. Yes. We've had huge success in describing the other three fundamental forces of nature uh, in, into what we call quantum terms. So we expect that gravity itself uh, could be described in that way, but nobody knows how to do it. And, and they've been trying for almost a century. And, and while you, you say that, that uh, Einstein's theories of gravity are incomplete uh, and an approximation, some are now challenging his theories as, as wrong. Uh, what is that all about? Because they're, they're saying that if, if, we, if, if Einstein's theory of gravity is wrong, then we don't need dark matter. I, I mean, there's a couple of questions wrapped up in there. Let's start with why are yeah. they saying why are they saying Einstein is wrong about gravity? Well, um, there are some huge puzzles. Um, I mean, we live at a very exciting time in the history of science um, because a lot of things don't fit. You know, a lot of observations do not fit our predictions. The last time 
that, that something this exciting happened was in the 1920s, and that was when quantum theory, the theory of the microscopic world, the theory of atoms was developed, and quantum theory showed that pretty much everything that had gone before was incorrect. Uh, and and now we, we have this problem that, that when we look out at the universe, 95% of it is invisible. So um, in addition to the, the, the stuff that we're made of, the, the atoms uh, that we're made of, you and me are made of, that the Earth is made of, that the stars and the galaxies are made of, this only accounts for 5% of what there is. The, um, there's invisible dark matter, which is stuff which is actually invisible, but we can see it's there because it, it tugs with its gravity on the visible stuff, so we can see that happening. That outweighs the visible stuff by a factor of six. And then there's this stuff called dark energy, which accounts for two-thirds of the universe. And this is, uh, again, invisible. It fills all the space. Um, it has repulsive gravity, and its repulsive gravity is speeding up the uh, expansion of the universe. So what are these What are these two components, dark matter and dark energy, which are 95, between them, 95% of the mass of the universe? What the hell are they? We don't know. Um, but it's, it, it is possible that, that Einstein's theory, which was kind of devised uh, to explain things in the solar system or whatever, perhaps it needs modification on the very large scales. Maybe it's not, not completely correct. People don't like to do that because one of the um, telltale signs of good physical theories, and we don't know why this is true, but they appear they're beautiful. So the, the theories which are like Einstein's theory, like quantum theory, have a, have a certain beauty to them. And, and to modify them in an arbitrary way is, is something that physicists resist because for some reason they don't understand beauty is a good indicator of a, of a successful theory. So I, I don't think anyone's really wanting to throw out Einstein's theory of gravity. We, we think that it probably breaks down on very small scales, you know, so that's within uh, the atomic, within atoms. But there's always the possibility that it breaks down on a very large scale, so it, it might need modification. Uh, but that's... But it's passed every single test, I should say. It's passed every single test, uh, including one in 2015, hmm. when we picked up gravitational waves, which are ripples in space-time predicted by Einstein in 1916, and they were exactly the way Einstein predicted they would be. So it, it passes every single test. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. 
There are so many crazy stories on the dead files. And what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So we 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 can't be too quick to toss dark matter out the window. Then it's uh, oh dark matter. Uh, well, I mean no, I mean dark matter does appear to be there. Uh, dark energy does appear appear to be there. The the problem is. If you're looking for another explanation, the problem is that the, these, these, um, um, we don't know what they are, but these substances are, are, are indicated by, 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 from several lines. So, so if we take, for instance, dark matter, it's not one line of inquiry that leads us to the idea there's dark matter. So when we look at our galaxy, which is uh, the Milky Way where we live, it's like a, like a pinwheel, you know, like a, like a, a spiral, a, a, and we see that the stars in the outer regions are orbiting far too fast. They're like children on a speeded up roundabout. You know, they ought to be flung off into into space, but in fact, they're not. So we 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 think that there's a lot more matter in our galaxy than we can actually see, and its extra gravity is clinging on to these stars and stopping them fly away. But that isn't the only. Um, piece of evidence that tells us there's dark matter. So it turns out that um, we, we believe that the, we, we know that the Big Bang, uh, there were slight irregularities in the Big Bang, and they they became the galaxies. There were two trillion of them, including their own Milky Way. So there were, there were little regions which were slightly denser than average, and because their gravity was slightly greater than average, they dragged in more material. It's kind of a... Uh, like the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. So, so galaxies got bigger and bigger. But you would need something like a hundred billion years to make a galaxy as big as our Milky Way. But the universe is only about a tenth as old as that. So again, we, we realize that there has to be a lot of extra matter whose extra gravity speeded up galaxy formation. So, so when we, when we talk about dark matter and dark energy, we're not talking about things that, that, that for which there's only one piece of evidence, there, there are several lines of argument that hint at this stuff, and they all interlock. So we, we think that they probably do exist. But there's always a possibility, uh, which I think is what you're hinting at, that there's something wrong with gravity. So, for instance, if we're talking about stars in the outer regions of our Milky Way, which are orbiting far too fast and should be flung off you know, into intergalactic space, there's, there's two... Possible logical possibilities. One is there's extra mass, which is whose gravity is holding onto them. But the second possibility is that gravity in the outer regions of our Milky Way is stronger than Einstein would have predicted. So yeah, I think that's what you're hinting at. Mm. There could be something, but but the problem is um, that nobody has come up with a with a modification of Einstein's theory of gravity, which is satisfactory. 
you say something's wrong with gravity. I, I feel that way every time I go ice skating and I fall, <laughs> I fall down on my keister. Something's wrong with gravity. Uh, well, I mean, I, th- I think when we talk about when, when we when our experience of gravity, Newton's experience of gravity was basically objects you know, like cannonballs flying through the air and falling back to the ground and the moon, you know, and, and the planets orbiting the sun. That was it. Um, then we, we, he, he comes up with a theory um, and we apply it to the universe, which is like trillions and trillions of times bigger than, than you know, the, the place where he, he discovered it. And we assume that it applies there. Um, as far as we can tell, it does. But there's always the possibility that it might not. Are Einstein's and Newton's theories of gravity enough for us to safely put to land uh, a rocket on Mars, for example, a human, uh, uh, like an, a manned flight to Mars? Absolutely. You know, the, the Newton's theory itself is, is good enough. In fact, when we put humans on the moon in 1969, um, you know, the, the, the NASA's engineers needed nothing more than Newton's theory of gravity. And throughout our solar system, when we send space probes to Saturn and Pluto, we only need Newton's law of gravity. So Einstein's theory modifies Newton's only when gravity is very strong. And so the only place in the solar system where there is a a noticeable difference uh, from Newton's theory is with Mercury. Mercury is the innermost planet to the sun. It's closest to the sun, so it's experiencing stronger gravity than any other planet. And it was known uh, in Einstein's time that, 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 that Mercury did not go around the sun in an ellipse, in a, in a, uh, you know, in a, in a single elliptical orbit like all the planets. The, the ellipse kept changing its orientation in space so that Mercury over time uh, follows an orbit which is like a rosette, um, not like a, an ellipse. And this was called um, this anomaly. Uh, no one really thought it was important, but Einstein's theory of gravity explained it. So really, apart from the motion of Mercury in our solar system, uh, which requires uh, Einstein's theory, pretty much everything else is perfectly explained by Newton. Ah, interesting. Uh, I want to talk about anti-gravity for a moment, because, you know, obviously on this show, and you've been on on Coast, and I host Coast to Coast from time to time, and we talk a lot about unidentified aerial phenomena, and and we talk about anti-gravitics, and trying to understand how that might work. But is anti-gravity even the right term? Because you were mentioning, you know, if we hold our hand up in the air, uh, that's anti-gravitics, isn't it? Well, you have to tell me what you mean by anti-gravity, because uh, um, we just mentioned dark energy, which uh, accounts for two-thirds of the mass of our universe. And it actually has repulsive gravity. Okay, so... So uh, when you're at school, they teach you, you know, Newton's law, and they say that one of the um, ca- the central characteristic of gravity is, and it's, it's an attractive force. So it's an attraction between all masses. There's an attraction between the Earth and the Moon. There's an attraction between you and someone walking past you on the street, although it's too small to notice. But it turns out that most of the stuff in the universe actually has repulsive gravity. Mm. This is dark energy. And its repulsive gravity is speeding up the expansion of the universe. So I don't think that teaching uh, of children has actually progressed uh, <laughs> to the point where we are now. So not, you know, dark energy was discovered in 1998. It was contrary to all expectations. You know, the universe 
was expanded in the aftermath of the Big Bang, an explosion, the galaxies, and we are living on one of the of two trillion of them, are flying apart like pieces of cosmic shrapnel. Uh, we expected that the expansion would be slowing down, you know, because it's all, the gravity, the attractive gravity between all the galaxies is a bit like uh, having an invisible web of elastic, you know, connecting all the galaxies. So it should be breaking or slowing down expansion. In 1998, groups in uh, California and in uh, Australia discovered that contrary to expectations, the expansion is speeding up. So they had to postulate that, that between the galaxies, there's this invisible stuff with repulsive gravity, dark energy, that's speeding up the expansion universe. So we, we do know that this stuff does exist. In fact, it's in the room where you are now. Uh, it's in the room where I am now. Uh, but this stuff, it, its repulsive gravity is so weak that you have to get very large amounts of it, you know, cosmic amounts of it, before it becomes um, significant enough to, to, uh, you know, to, to be noticed, which is, of course, why we didn't notice it until we looked out into <laughs> the deep universe and we noticed everything's speeding up. But, hmm. I, but I don't know. But I don't know what you mean about anti-gravity. We we don't know if that's 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 possible. Something to, do you mean to to neutralise gravity? Right. When we talk about some of these, the unbelievable maneuvers that some of these unidentified aerial objects are displaying, we often hear that term anti-gravitics. And, uh, you know, Nikola Tesla was supposedly working on some sort of an anti-gravitic device. But, but, I mean, that term confuses me because, as I say, uh, if if you're holding your arm up in the air, you're you're repelling gravity. Isn't that an an example of anti-gravity? No, not really. But what, it's an ex- what it actually tells you is, is how incredibly weak gravity is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something, and this is, this is a huge mystery, um, because if we, we think that all the four forces of nature are aspects of the same force, a single force. And in fact, we've been able to show that that's the case for three of the forces. Uh, they're all aspects of a, of, a, of a single super force that existed in the Big Bang. And it's, uh, you know, and in, in today, does it look, appear as if there are three forces? Um, the problem is that gravity is, is one followed by 40 zeros weaker than, for instance, the electric force, that, which is holding together the, the atoms in your body. Mm. Now, how can you even have a formula that describes all four forces where one of them is one followed by 40 zeros <laughs> weaker? That's the problem. Um, and, and that is why uh, I can hold my arm out because the electric force, that is what's uh, powering my muscles, um, is one followed by 40 zero stronger than, uh, than, the, than, than the gravitational force. But that isn't anti-gravitics, what you're talking about. Um, the problem we've got is that if you take, for instance, the electric force, it comes in two types. There are two types of matter. So there's, we, we, you, could call it, you could call it, you know, type one and type two, whatever. It turns out historically we've called it negative, negatively charged and positively charged. And the force, um, it, you know, it, it turns out that, um, uh, you know, between a negative and positive charge, you get an attractive force and between a two, you know, two positives, you get a repulsive force. So in other words, these forces can cancel each other out. Um, but if they don't cancel, cancel out, then you get phenomena, you know, so you can, you know, so you get static electricity mm-hmm. or you get lightning mm-hmm. or anything like this. The trouble with, so you can actually cancel out an electric force. So for instance, um, there is this incredible force, uh, 
that, that's that's in my body and your body, which is fun followed by 40 zero stronger than gravity. But when you walk past someone in the street, you do not experience this force. You don't feel this electrical attraction between you and that person. And the reason is because um, there are, you know, the, the electric for, the uh, matter comes in two different types. And in the universe, there is an equal amount of stuff that is negatively uh, charged, um, an equal amount to, to, to that that is positively charged, and the same in you. So this force is entirely neutralized. Mm. But it doesn't have to be neutralized. You know, you, we can actually, um, you know, we, we can create an imbalance, and then we can unleash this force. And of course, that's the secret of how we power the world. You know, we, right. we, un, we create a charge imbalance, and we, we and this incredible force is suddenly unleashed, and it's so amazing that it can light billions of light bulbs around the world. It can drive all of our electrical machinery. This, you know, if you create this charge imbalance, which we do at a power station, but. Gravity only comes in one form. It only comes in, there aren't two types of gravity. There's only, there's only one type of matter that we know of, and that has attraction. If there was another type that, uh, that, was, that, that, that repelled, maybe we could actually create anti-gravity in some way. When I say about dark energy being repulsive, that isn't, we don't know, we don't think that's matter. We don't even know what it is. Ah, we just call it dark some matter. Some kind of... We just call it dark matter, but it's not, it's yeah, not another type well, exactly. of matter. Right. Exactly. We don't actually know what it is. Well, dark energy, we don't actually know what it is. You know, we, we don't. Um, but you know, it doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, you know, there was for, for hundreds of years, there was, a, there was evidence that matter was ultimately made of tiny indivisible grains, atoms. We didn't see them. Mm. In fact, the first time we saw an atom was... Um, at IBM in, in, in Zurich in about 1980, and, and the, guy, the, the guys who did that got the Nobel Prize for actually seeing an atom. But, but the, the evidence that atoms existed was overwhelming, um, indirect evidence, as it is for black holes. You know, no one's ever seen a black hole, but the evidence for them is, is overwhelming. And, and again, the evidence for dark energy and dark matter is um, quite strong. Um, but so, so, you know, even though we don't know much about it, we know it's there. This is absolutely fascinating. A quick uh, gravity-related question. If you were to throw a a member of the Taliban off a cliff and a member of ISIS off a cliff at the same time, which one would land first? The answer? Who cares? Here's something we should care about, and that is the nutritional supplements that we put in our bodies. But how do you choose the best nutritional supplements or even know what's in them? Life Extension has been helping people stay healthy for over 35 years. Just like with the foods you eat, the quality, purity, and potency of the ingredients in your nutritional supplements really do matter. And Life Extension supplements set the gold standard for supporting weight loss, heart, brain, bone, joint, eyes, skin, sexual health, and so much more. Their formulas are based on the latest scientific research and clinically validated dosages. And that's one reason why 98% of their customers recommend Life Extension to their friends and family. Every Life Extension product is backed by a total satisfaction guarantee. The bottom line? Life Extension is the brand you can trust with your health. Check out Life Extension products with special savings. Visit SmartClickIdea.com. That's SmartClickIdea.com. SmartClickIdea.com. 
theoretical physicists say that there's as many as 12 hyperdimensions. Here are just three of them. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Conspiracy Unlimited. Pretty cool, huh? Uh, here's an extra one. Conspiracy Unlimited. Hey, how about one more? Conspiracy Unlimited. And the great thing is we have six hyperdimensions left. Conspiracy Unlimited. Five. Or something like that. I'll ask Richard later. Science writer Marcus Chown is here. We're talking about the secrets of gravity. What about antimatter? I mean, I, I mean, I, I've heard the term on Star Trek, but I don't know. Is there such a thing? Antimatter? There is such a thing. Um, it was predicted by a British physicist called Paul Dirac in, in 1930. Uh, and he was a great uh he was like the Mr. Spock of, of physics. Mm-hmm. As we think, maybe he was autistic. He actually went to, to school in Bristol, in Britain, with Cary Grant. Actually, oh, wow. The Hollywood film star. But anyway, Paul Dirac was one of the great uh, physicists of the 20th century, probably the greatest British physicist since Newton. And he um, came up in the 19, in, well, it's late 1920s with a theory of the electron, which is a fundamental particle that we, we're made of. Uh, and he he got came up with a description that combined quantum theory and Einstein's theory of relativity. And the theory, um, to his surprise, uh, implied that there were two types of matter. There were two types of matter. Uh, he didn't at first know what it meant, but in 1932 at Caltech in California, Carl Anderson was studying cosmic rays, which are um, particles from space. We think they come from exploding stars. And he found the anti-electron. So uh, when you look at uh, when you have a detector and you look at uh, an electron, if it's if you put it in a magnetic field, it bends a certain way. He noticed something that had exactly the same mass as an electron that bent the opposite way, and that's the positron, which is the. So he actually found what Dirac had predicted, the first antiparticle. And now we know that every single particle of matter, every single fundamental particle has an antiparticle. So, you know, the proton that your protons in your atoms in your body have anti antiprotons, the neutrons are antineutrons. Uh, everything has an antiparticle. And every single um, particle process creates both a, that, that, that generates a particle or creates a particle also creates an antiparticle. What so do this we creates a huge hmm? Oh I was gonna say what can we do with this, that? What could we do with antiparticles? Well this creates a huge, huge mystery. Because if every process we've ever observed creates both, why don't we live in a universe with both? We live in a universe which is almost entirely matter, mm. where there's no, man, there's no antimatter. So this is one of the biggest outstanding mysteries in science. Why do we live in a universe with matter when every process we've ever, we've ever studied produces equal amounts of matter and antimatter? Well, if he, observed, so be, if he observed it, where does it go? Well, the thing about matter and antimatter is, is that, that, that when they meet, they, they annihilate. Um, so uh, if, a, if an electron meets a positron, they just disappear in a flash of, of, of energy. They create what we call gamma rays. So if I were to shake, if you were made of antimatter and I were to shake your hand, that would create an explosion probably big enough to destroy the entire Earth. <laughs> That's the kind of energy that's involved. So the, it, it will be total annihilation of matter. When matter and antimatter meet, 
One, you've heard of E equals mc squared. Yes, yes. A, um, The energy in matter is equal to the mass of the matter times the speed of light squared. Uh, so, so mass is a form. Einstein discovered that mass is a form of energy. So, mass can be turned into other forms. So, for instance, in a in a hydrogen bomb, mass is turned into the heat of the fireball. You know. So, uh, but nuclear processes that do that turn about at most one percent of the mass energy into other forms. When matter and antimatter meet, 100 percent of the mass is turned into other forms of energy. So. If we could ever have a bit of antimatter and we could mix it with matter, we would have an energy source which would be hundreds of times more powerful than nuclear energy. Mm. Um, but the, but the, the problem is we have to create it. And the energy required to, to, to create antimatter and store it is, is really, uh, you know, it, it makes it un, unfeasible as an energy source. Uh, but people have talked about matter and antimatter being used to drive uh, space probes to the stars because what you want is something that has a, a huge punch a, you know a, a, a lot of energy released and doesn't weigh much because if it weighs that much then then you know it, you need more fuel to, to right. drive it right but but at CERN in, in Geneva which is the European Center for Particle Physics there is an experiment at the moment uh, to uh, gather together antimatter we've made anti-atoms and what we're interested in doing, and this connects with something you said earlier, we want to know whether anti-atoms fall under gravity the same way as ordinary atoms, or do they, or do they, uh, do they do the opposite? Does a does an anti-atom rise up in gravity, mm. or does it actually fall? Now, we, our suspicion is that the antimatter will do exactly the same as ordinary matter and will fall under gravity. But it could be that it doesn't. And that's why you do these experiments. And that would be what you're talking about. That would be anti-gravity. That would be it, yes. Right. So that's a very interesting experiment that's being done at the moment. I wanted to pick up on a couple of uh, threads. Um, earlier you mentioned something about you know charge imbalances. Uh, yes. And... I'm taking a bit of a flyer here, but um, I recently did a show on one of the strangest phenomena, spontaneous human combustion. And I'm wondering yeah. if that there may be a clue there as to what causes human beings to suddenly, I mean, e even Charles Dickens wrote about this, and, and I think it was in Bleak House, one of his characters uh, is killed off through humans or spontaneous human combustion. Is it possible that something like, a charge imbalance, a momentary charge imbalance in someone could cause them to literally go up and smoke? I think it's probably unlikely, but it's very, but it's very, very interesting because I'll just mention two things. One is that when I, I wrote a book called What a Wonderful World, which was about everything, and I tried to explain electricity in, um, you know, in a chapter. And I wanted to... Um, explain to people how it is that the electricity, the electric force in matter is so so fantastic that it can power our entire civilization, you know. And so I began to, I, I thought, well, how am I going to, how am I going to, um, you know, how am I going to convey the, the energy that's contained, electrical energy in matter? And I thought of a mosquito, and I thought, say you removed all the electrons in a mosquito, Okay, so atoms consist of a positive a nucleus, like a sun, around which uh, electrons orbit like planets. 
So if we removed all the electrons from a mosquito, it would only consist of the positively charged cores of atoms. And positive, they would repel each other. And so what, with, what, what energy would they, repel, would they repel each other? And I discovered that actually they would repel each other with an energy equivalent to the, the asteroid, the city-sized asteroid that hit the Earth and wiped out the dinosaurs. So with the energy of a global mass extinction, so the energy contained in a single electrical energy contained in a single mosquito is equivalent to a global mass extinction. Mm. So that's what you would get if you if you could actually create a complete charge imbalance in it. But as for a, a spontaneous combustion, um, I think that, that you know in all I mean it it is something that has happened in all cases that I've heard of. It tends to be somebody uh, cigarettes tend to be involved. It tends to be somebody who's maybe um, fallen asleep in a chair um, and their cigarette is maybe they're wearing a, a sweater, something like that, and their, their smoldering cigarette has um, started burning their sweater and it's been a slow burn. And you are like a candle, you know, you're made of fat. Right. And so you can get a slow, you know, if someone's unconscious, then it's almost like a, you know, like a wick on a candle. And, and, and this process gradually, um, this smoldering process gradually burns someone away. That's, I mean, that's, that's the only explanation I've heard of. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think, I think you'll, you'll, if you look into it, you'll find that in many cases, um, things like uh, cigarettes are involved. The other, the other um, thread that I wanted to pick up on, you mentioned cosmic rays. And yes. I wondered to what extent cosmic rays can affect climate. Well, that's a very interesting question. I mean, I would have said um, we used to think that we lived isolated on the Earth, you know, and we were not really prey to any cosmic forces, um, which is a ridiculous thing, really, because, I mean, if I hold up my hand, it's a piece of a star, you know, the, the iron in my blood, the, ox the, the calcium in my bones, you know, the oxygen, all the falls inside stars, which, which, you know, lived and died before the Earth was born. You know, we mm. are stardust made flesh. You know, we, we, that, we literally are, we are that connected to these cosmic processes. But, you know, we used to think that the Earth was, uh, you know, sat there in isolation. We now know that it gets hit periodically by very large chunks of rock. And that probably has caused mass extinctions and very probably wiped out the dinosaurs 66 million years ago. Um, we're also prey to other things, like if there was a supernova, an exploding star near us within, within about 30 light years, it could wipe out life on Earth. Um, and this may, must have happened several times in the history of life on Earth. You know, I mean, basically, we would have a star in the sky that shone brighter than the moon, the full moon. Um, and that would be difficult for nocturnal creatures, you know, to hunt, because there'd be no day, there'd be no night time. Uh, but the worst thing would be the particles um, which would come, uh, the, the high energy particles, which would smash into the upper atmosphere, destroy our ozone layer, and the Earth would then be um, at the mercy of solar ultra ultraviolet, and it would be difficult to live on the surface. This must have happened. Um, and, and so cosmic rays are particles which, which uh, high energy nuclei, cosmic nuclei that come from supernova, that come from um, objects like uh, we have a giant black hole at the center of our galaxy called Sagittarius A star, come from objects like that. Um, and they, they do have an effect in, in the atmosphere. They, they, they must do. 
Um, in fact, there's, there's an idea, uh, why, you know, that, that there's a, uh, a speculation that lightning zigzags down through the atmosphere because of cosmic particles. Mm. Um, now, lightning is a discharge. You know, we get a very build-up of electrical charge high in the atmosphere in a cloud uh, until that, the, the voltage difference uh, between the cloud and the ground becomes too great. And, uh, the, the, you know, the current comes down through the, through the air. Um, and it's, it's, the idea is that, that these cosmic particles are crisscrossing the atmosphere all the time. And the lightning just follows a pre-existing path. So it goes along a little path that a cosmic particle is, as, 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 you know, what we call ionize the air for a little while. And then, uh, then it goes, then it changes direction. So that could definitely happen. And we do know that, that charged particles in the atmosphere, which are created by, um, you know, can be created by solar particles, by cosmic particles, mm-hmm. can become the nuclei for uh, water droplets uh, and may seed clouds. So, yeah, there may well be a, a connection between what we call uh, space weather and our weather. Space uh, weather. We're, we're, mm. We're definitely not. Uh, yeah, space weather is the is the is the uh, the, the the major problem that uh, which is never mentioned that a, a mission to Mars would have to face. I mean, it's all very well to to say, well, if we go to Mars, it's going to take six months. We're going to need a big rocket. Um, we're going to need to take our food and water and all that sort of stuff. But the the, the major problem that you face is solar weather, is space weather. If there were a flare on the sun, an explosion on the surface of the sun, uh, you would be exposed uh, in your little tin can traveling to Mars and you would probably die of radiation poisoning. Um, the the uh, astronauts are in Apollo only missed a solar flare on one of them. I can't remember what it was, about Apollo 12. They only missed, it, missed one by about one day, so they were incredibly lucky. Is that right? But, uh, they, they would have been ir- irradiated? Yes. Yeah. My word, I so, had no uh, idea. And we can't predict these these events um, on the sun. I mean, if there was a there was a solar flare in eighteen, I think eighteen fifty eight. It's known as the Carrington yes, event. Yes, yes. We didn't notice uh, it because you know, we didn't have much electricity. No, but but people who who were operated uh, telegraphs were electrocuted. Yes, yes. You know? And streetcars uh, and uh, yes, that's right. Something like that today would send us back to the pre-electrical age because we're very vulnerable now. We have thousands of satellites used for communications uh, with sensitive electronics uh, for weather forecasting for all kinds of things and we would be probably sent back to the... Well, you you know, of course a a solar flare caused a complete blackout in Quebec in the the 1980s. Yes. The grid system melted. Yes. I mean, I've heard some pretty dire uh, predictions about fatalities uh, something like 90 percent in north america within the first year we are so dependent on uh, electricity were the grid to go to fail completely uh, because you can't even deliver water without electricity clean water that's right absolutely uh and and of course that's right and 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 uh, a lot of water is delivered by computer systems as well which tend to be more vulnerable because they the components year by year get smaller and smaller which means they're more and more fragile uh, and more more and more vulnerable to you know a surge um, created by um, or basically what would actually happen if a flare would would would, would the, the magnetic field from the sun would would change across the earth and when you change the magnetic, magnetic 
magnetic field across a conductor, you create a current. That's exactly how we generate uh, electricity in a power station. We uh, change the magnetic field through a, a conductor, conductor and, and we generate a current that way. So basically the grid system would just have electrical giant electrical surges generated in it, which would melt the melt transformers and things. So that would be, uh, God, there's a lot of things to worry about on there. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Enough to worry about right here on Earth, never mind uh, space weather. Marcus, I have enjoyed this immensely. I've learned a whole bunch, and I hope we can do it again sometime. Thank you. It's been fun. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll uh, direct people to your website, marcuschown.com, Marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, C-H-O-W-N dot com. Thank you again. Thank you very much, Richard. Bye-bye. Well, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll tell you what's coming up on episode 42 of Conspiracy Unlimited. Before that, just a reminder, if you want to get in on the weekly draw for a chance to win a copy of my Strange Planet Volumes 1 and 2 CDs, simply rate and review this podcast. Grab a screenshot and email it to me at richardserrett1 at gmail.com. Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T, the numeral one at gmail.com. And don't forget, and don't forget to include your full name and mailing address in that email. Then all the names go into an enormous cheese puffs jar, and every Friday I draw the name of one lucky winner. Good luck. Shedding those extra pounds gets a lot harder as we age. If it were as simple as deciding we're going to cut back on certain foods or that we're going to exercise more, then more of us would be successful. But losing weight is about changing behavior, and that's difficult to do. Ask anyone who's ever tried to quit smoking. The key is having the right mindset. Getting thin and staying that way lies in our thought processes. And hypnotherapy can make all the difference. So, clinical hypnotherapist Dr. Steve G. Jones has created a set of five audio hypnotic sessions that apply the power of hypnosis to reprogram the mind and replace bad habits with vibrant, positive new habits and help you achieve natural and long-lasting weight loss. Weight loss hypnotherapy really works, and it's available now at a special discount. Isn't it time to lose those extra pounds? Check out Weight Loss Hypnotherapy right now at SmartClickSavings.com. That's SmartClickSavings.com. Coming up on Episode 42 of Conspiracy Unlimited, Russian President Vladimir Putin recently unveiled his country's enhanced nuclear arsenal, which he describes as virtually invisible to radar and almost impossible to defend against. Join me in conversation with the publisher and editor of World Affairs Brief, Joel Skousen, discusses Russia's nuclear threat. Until next time, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting. <laughs>